0: So excited to host again, Dr. Dylan, that's what I'll call you because I know that's what most people call you, right?
1: Yes, yes.
0: Yes, and you've become our kind of a partner in mental health mm-hmm. and um, we have a long-standing relationship with Birch Psychology and uh, shout out to Ouse and their whole team and especially mm-hmm. Dylan for offering this service to our community. It's really important, you know. Getting kids into college is one thing. Having them thrive when they get there is another. Mm-hmm. And part awesome. of our um, belief and philosophy is that parents really need to be a big part of that conversation. I don't think in our culture we honor enough this incredible transition from having a child from birth to high school, 18, and then suddenly they're gone. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot a lot, um, a lot of emotions come with that. And a lot of emotions come as the between 16 and 18. And then also when the students are gone. Um, I also just want to call out that I just got back from a sprint run. So I am bright red and sopping wet. But um, if you are in um, need of some encouragement of taking care of yourself, let me model that for you. So there we go on that. Dylan, I want you to go ahead and just introduce yourself. And then we do. some questions that have come through and um, let's just get started.
1: Lovely. Yeah. So I'm Dr. Dylan Larson-Konar. I wanted to introduce myself just in the context of this conversation and sort of where I'm coming from uh, in terms of working with adolescents and college students. Um, So of course, myself was was a college student a long time ago transitioning. Um, Since that point, I've worked at two different college counseling centers at the University of Florida and then also at the University of Colorado in Boulder where I imagine um, some, some parents have children going to or, or wanting to go. And then right now I work at Birch Psychology as a postdoctoral fellow. And um, I'm currently working with some college students and also with a fair number of sort of late adolescents, So around like 16 to 18, and I've been working with them as they've moved to a point where they're going to get ready to go to college or are starting to think about it as well.
0: All right, thank you. I'm just gonna dive in. Um, sure is Dylan, is there is there like a roadmap for preparing kids, and parents emotionally and mentally mm-hmm. for the transition to college?
1: Yeah, I was I was thinking about this question a lot as I work with my clients. I would say that right now, uh, for students who are about to go to college in, say, August or maybe September, the task is one of sort of building autonomy and being uh, sort of at a place where you can feel more independent and more autonomous from your parents. Uh, so then the task is really less about like a parent doing something necessarily to emotionally prepare their child and more about sort of this joint task of sort of letting go, uh, which I think can be equally difficult. And and you talked about this not being something that we talk enough about in our culture. And I think that that process of sort of letting go is another thing that we probably don't talk enough about in our culture. And what's difficult, I think, is there's there's an aspect where you have to sort of let your child uh, struggle a little bit through this process, potentially feel some discomfort, Uh, while also sort of preparing them or creating like a sense of scaffolding around what it might be like. So just to offer a kind of a quick example of this that I've seen be effective is that um, rather than, for example, uh, calling the counseling center for your child, uh, telling them who they are, setting up the appointment for your child, talking about your concerns, maybe that looks more like uh, talking to your to your child, figuring out maybe that's something that they want, giving them sort of the website or, or asking them, um, you know, is this something that you've thought about and then giving them space to, to make those decisions themselves. So I think a lot of what emotionally preparing your child looks like is, is sort of stepping up in the sense of, of course, you know, like maintaining that care for them and, 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 and sort of thinking ahead for them to a certain degree, but then also stepping back. Uh, and I think for a lot of parents that stepping back is actually the harder part than the stepping up.
0: You know, we um Hannah maybe we can add later but we create we have a launch checklist because I think part of what you're talking about is like we can be doing that now but in some ways I think it has to start like 2 years earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. And so we created a little checklist for our families that's like are your kids making their own doctor's appointments? Are they advocating at school for needs and and doing that gradually so it's not like a big shock yeah. later. So I really appreciate um, what you're saying, I think, um, one of the things that I've noticed, and especially Mm -hmm. since COVID is students aren't leaving home as much before they're not getting practice. It seems like summer camps aren't, kids don't go to summer camp as much. And there's not like, go stay with your grandma for a month. Like when I was growing up. And so I am hearing a lot of students homesick Mm -hmm. Um, advice on that?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, one is I just want to reiterate that point that you made about sort of preparing almost like two years in advance for some of that points, because I think that that's like at this stage when your child is late 17 or 18 and they're actually going to college, a lot of what you're doing is relying on sort of the modeling or the lessons that you've implanted up to this point rather than really doing anything active right now. So in terms of advice for homesickness, if I can kind of go back a couple of years, one piece is that one thing that I really see a lot um, with college students is just stuff around avoidance, whether that's like emotional avoidance or not feeling comfortable feeling their feelings or things like avoiding scheduling that doctor's appointment to get to your point of homesickness. Maybe it's like avoidance of, of reaching out and trying to find a new community, which could be something that would really like help bolster that sense of homesickness. And the students that I see that are often the most successful are those that have this sort of instinct where if they feel a sense of fear or discomfort or anxiety, they're able to sort of identify maybe where that's coming to. And then they take steps to approach that. So there's a lot of ways to model that, right? Like if you're, if you're, if your child or, or student is sort of nervous about something, uh, whether it be like a summer camp or something smaller, uh, providing support, but then encouraging them to actually do the thing that they are then afraid of, um, and then modeling that in yourself. So, so that's one thing that I think is really preventative for for homesickness. Um, in terms of initial steps, I would say like that homesickness is really, really normal and typical, especially, I don't know if we have any international parents or, 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 or uh, parents of international students, but especially in that case, it's like very normal. And if it's something that your child is talking about or worried about for like one two three months it's it's just not something I'd be particularly concerned about. Um, if it led to if it's that we're talking like six months or if we feel like they're isolating then I'm gonna be more concerned. Um, but I think that again like supporting them calling them talking them through that connecting them friends maybe from high school uh, maybe fall break is a time where they can sort of get uh, sort of like reintegrated a little bit into their into their sort of high school friend community but I think that that discomfort, is like pretty normal and also maybe beneficial because that's often what leads people to then push out and do some things that might be out of their comfort zone, whether it's like joining a club or whether it's sort of sitting down to someone else at lunch and introducing themselves. So a lot of those things for some students, especially more introverted students, they just don't happen unless they feel some homesickness or unless they feel some anxiety. So yeah, I would I would just say that it's not necessarily a bad thing. And I think we're going to talk a little bit more about sort of like warning signs for real concerns. I was actually
0: just going to ask you that because there's like a fine line, right? There's, right there's like okay, you're doing okay. I actually as a parent tend mm-hmm. when my kids went to college, I was so overtrained on like letting them go yeah. that I think sometimes I wasn't paying attention to some of the yeah, warning signs totally. because I was like you got it, you can do it, you don't need me. I'm the parent who launches great kids and then like what what is the difference between that um, anxiety that's good and the anxiety that's not good and how do we know from far away?
1: Yeah right and yeah it can be hard to know from far away Um, and then everyone has really different routines about how they like for example would like call or FaceTime their child during college. I mean, one thing is like setting up a a regular time, maybe like once a week where you're doing that and you're checking in. Um, Another thing would be like trying to figure out ways of contacting your student in case something like that word happens so you would know. So maybe that looks like getting the numbers of roommates. Um, I was also an RA, like a resident assistant when I was a junior and senior when I was an undergrad. Um, And we tended not to have direct communication with parents, but we're like working for the student. In a lot of ways, your RA is like the first responder Mm. to your student. So like, for example, I was, if, if a student was like drunk to the point of being incapacitated, I'm the one who's going to send them to the hospital. Or if a student is isolating in their room for like a week at a time, I'm going to be the one to know. Um, and then I notified it, for us, it was the director of student life. So finding out like who that person is for your student or for your child in, in their school, um, And then you're probably not gonna be able to talk directly to the RA just because those positions are they're sort of like shielded from managing parents just because that's that's a lot of extra work for them yeah right exactly but they're going to report to someone else who's part of the administration and and then that person is also going to be a point person that you can have their email or their phone number um and if you are concerned they might be a a point of checking in um i would say you're right that that line is really hard right and it's going to be different and context-based for each student um we talked about sort of like healthy anxiety or healthy stress and that's the kind of stress that might push your student to do something that is empowering for them or sort of like it makes creates more independence or creates more community and then often i can see with when i work with people who might reach that level of like clinical anxiety or clinical depression that there's a little bit of a like a sort of vicious cycle going on so for example a student is so anxious that they feel as if they kind of aren't going to interact with anyone, or they're not gonna go to that next event. Uh, and that's sort of happening. And then and then in doing so, maybe they feel like uh, a loss of community, which then sort of saps their energy. And you can kind of see where you would hope that that would push them forward, but instead it seems to be pulling them back. And if you're sort of noticing that pattern of that vicious cycle enough, that's, that's when I would start to be concerned. And by enough, I think I just mean a certain amount of time. Um,
0: I think what I like about what you're saying is that, I mean, it actually goes back to what you're saying is build in some systems from the beginning,
1: mm-hmm. I think
0: the communication piece, like, at least I want to hear from you once a week. Yeah. I mean, it's so different when I went to college, like we had a telephone. And, right. Right. You know, my parents didn't even expect me to call them. Like I went to school and then maybe I'd call them a couple of times. Then I went yeah. home for Thanksgiving And now I think parents may have the expectations that their students would be in close touch and they don't hear from their kids and they get kind of anxious. And so it's hard for us to know because we don't know what's happened. We don't even know what's happening. So I guess not hearing from kids would be a pretty big red flag if they don't respond to you at all, Mm -hmm. or if they're responding too much, that could be, if they're constantly calling you, that could be a red flag. But what about how do we tease through, like, are there specific questions that could lead mm-hmm. us to, because I really appreciate what you're saying, but it feels, it felt like if I were a parent, I'd be like, how would I even know that that's happening to my students?
1: Yeah, right. And I think that it it is more limited, right? Like your knowledge of it. Um, and I think having maybe certain expectations around calling or around like how frequently that is, when are we checking in, uh is one way to actually know i think one answer is that you're probably just like not gonna know as much and that's part of that like you said that like in a lot of ways you were encouraged to let go more and i think i'm imagining that different parents are at different places on that spectrum yeah so i think knowing less is going to be part of that discomfort for parents that like they might just have to manage in the same way that your student you know the child has to manage more anxiety uh in terms of specific questions um i mean i would be curious about mm, I'll I'll lump this into three different categories based on a psychological theory I like. It's called self determination theory. Uh, self determination theory is based a lot on on the development of sort of intrinsic or internal motivation to sort of succeed, uh, and it's interested in three different broad categories. One's autonomy, one's relatedness, and one's competence. Mm. Uh, so this this is like a you can kind of think about this almost as like a checklist. So with relatedness, I'm going to be asking about or thinking about like their relationship to their roommate their relationship to other friends uh their feeling of connectedness potentially to like classmates or to professors or to tas and the extent to which they're feeling as if like that they sort of care about me and i care about them that's probably the number one thing i'm going to pay attention to uh the next is more academic and that gets their own competence which is do they feel like they have uh like the ability to sort of master the content that they want to academically that also may be like different things in their own life so like maybe they don't, they're not comfortable with laundry, but do they feel as if they can sort of like take steps to get to that point where they can do it, you know? And that gets to the last point of autonomy, which is like the ability to feel like you can sort of control your own path in life. And, they're, and they're, like, as they're freshmen, they're not gonna feel like that initially, but if you can see sort of growth in that, um, that's another thing I'd be paying attention to for a student is like, how much control do they have? How much control do they perceive that they have over the different elements of their life? Um, because when that, when that's at zero, that's when we see things like learned helplessness. If, if people are familiar with that, that's sort of this idea of you feel helpless to resolve the different conflicts or situations in your life. And then even when you actually can resolve them to such an extent, you sort of learn that you can't or perceive that you can't, that you then don't take steps to even try. Um, and that would be sort of like the the bottom end of that feeling of autonomy. So that hopefully that offers a little bit of a guide, but you're right. It's hard to know. And as your student distances, I also am not, I wouldn't be shocked if they like offered less, you know, in terms of how things are going um, than they, than they might've before. Though so it's it's hard to say because often I see students when they're seniors in high school are actually pulling away more from their parents and are providing more resistance. And then once they get to college the like the natural distance that college provides sometimes actually improves those relationships, or actually, makes a student like more interested in talking to the parent or providing more, because I think that they feel less of an, they feel less of like a pull to actually separate, because they are separated already. So it can just go in a, a lot of different directions.
0: I love that. Um, that self determination, there, that is really helpful, because that gives a framework, mm-hmm. and it gives a framework for questions to ask. Um, if you're on that call with your parent, I mean, your child on a Sunday evening asking questions like you know not so much like how are the classes yeah but more like do you feel prepared for the classes that you're in do you feel like your high school yeah. prepared you um are you ha- how do you feel like you're managing your time yeah um, so instead of being like how are you or you know how are the classes to get more specific in yeah. the question asking um i'm thinking even that around competence, like the academic question, but also like, just curious, have you done laundry yet? You know, ha ha ha. Um, Or, you know, when do you think you're gonna do that? Just more out of fun, not like trying to be a nag. And then the relation piece too, um, Mm -hmm. I think asking questions like, hey, have you ever taken time, tell me about a professor that you've met? Are you? Or do you ever have a chance to go out to dinner with your professors? Like Mm -hmm. maybe asking really specific questions it reminds me actually I was a kindergarten teacher for years and I used to teach my parents um, don't ask what did you have a good day to a kindergartner instead mm-hmm. say who did you sit next to
1: yeah who yeah. did
0: you um, what book did your teacher read today um what was a song that you sang so in some ways and I've said this for so long that mentoring high schoolers is not that different than mentoring kindergartners.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: It's really just a different level of that building autonomy. Right.
1: Right. And, yeah, and self-determination
0: absolutely. and competence and all of that. And the whole point of being a parent is to get them to the point where we can launch them, where they get to play in a bigger field yeah. and when we play in a bigger field. It's going to be harder. You have yeah. to have more stamina. You have to be, you have to use those muscles in a new way, which means there's going to be times that are going to be rough.
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's great points. Um, I think that especially for the first like six months of freshman year, I think the highs are higher than normal and the lows are sometimes lower. So like, I think that if they feel loneliness, like they hadn't experienced before in high school, but it, but it's like, they feel that for a night and then the next morning they're feeling better or even for a couple of days. Like I'm not, that to me is just part of going to this new community. That's, you're probably going to feel more lonely, but then also like that's sometimes or often paired with like a sense of excitement. And hopefully there's like excitement around classes. There's an excitement around being able to control their own schedules. There's like an excitement around like living around so many different peers. Um, so I, yeah, I see both of those things to your point.
0: It, It brings up for me, um, in some ways, no matter what, no matter what learning profile your student mm-hmm. has, that really, it might be advantageous to front load some of these things. Yeah. And to say this like I never thought about ever saying that to my kids. Like, hey, I want you to know that you should expect to feel highs and lows. Yeah. You should expect to be like, oh, I'm on top of the world. I have the best friends in the world, and then you like crash when you don't get invited yeah. or you don't get, um, you don't get the bid for a sorority or fraternity. Yeah. Oh, it. yeah. Those kinds of things can really, I've actually, I actually had, um, I won't get too into it, but somebody that I knew who did not get into the sorority that she wanted and she left the school within a week. Oh,
1: wow. Yeah.
0: And, and it's hard to put yourself out there and to not be accepted and to be able to, like, as you said, like readjust, I will make a quick um, call out to, um, this, you can get these on Amazon talking college card deck. Oh,
1: cool.
0: And this is, um, these this is created by the woman who we're actually going to be interviewing her soon. I'm super excited. Her name is Andrea. Hannah, do you know her last name?
1: Uh,
0: Malkin. Perfect. She did these cards and she wrote a book called um, Doing College or something Mm -hmm. like that. And I think these um, these are ones, you know, again, maybe we should be talking about it earlier, not just Mm -hmm. a month before college. But heck, why not? I mean, if I had kids going to college, I'd probably have these on my table because there's a whole bunch of. Things in there that do kind of front load and prepare that we might not, if parents even remember, and even psychologists might not be thinking about this, right? Mm -hmm. These little things, but sometimes it's those little details that can blow up in our face and we want to have those.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I love those cards too. I, I have a similar sort of card deck for uh, for like different forms of therapy or coping strategies. And I find that like the cards are actually a lot more helpful than a book because they're just more accessible.
0: That's right. And that you can practice some more. Yeah, totally. Let's see. Um, what about, let's just assume we kind of get through that first beginning mm-hmm. period. What about sustainability of mental health over time? Yeah. I mean, we've had incredible conversations in in our, um, this, I'm kind of calling it a podcast, even though it's not really a podcast, but it feels like a podcast, like a podcast yeah. growing good humans. We actually interviewed an amazing, amazing expert in the field on title nine. Um, mm-hmm. and she really addressed a lot about sex, alcohol, drugs, mm-hmm. and the role that that plays in mental yeah. health in college and the kind of things that can happen when students are drinking and doing yeah. drugs and, um, yeah man, that can really create some, some serious challenges. Um, How, what's, what's what's your psychology? Like what, what, we need another, um, we need another theory to help us through this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was thinking about substances as we were having our initial conversation, because it's it's obviously a huge part of, of college. And it's, I mean, high school students come into college with different levels of experience or different levels of use around alcohol and marijuana in Colorado. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of high school students who are, who are vaping nicotine really frequently and who are also smoking marijuana or like eating it very frequently too. Um, What's probably different there though, is that there's not like an adult present to sort of like moderate that use. Um, So... I mean, I don't know. I've seen I see a lot of college students, especially freshmen or sophomores who have pretty problematic drinking and then it resolves itself through time. But then also sometimes it doesn't resolve itself. Um, and like a lot of college is weird with the norms. So like I'm, I'm going to bring this up in two ways, one's with alcohol and one's with socializing. So with alcohol, there's such a norm around uh like partying and alcohol use and like maybe like six or eight drinks being normal when we know that that's considered binge drinking and can, can be really harmful but like being around it as a norm sort of I think really impacts the way that you drink and the way that you encounter substances uh and there's this there's this finding uh, in social psychology it's called pluralistic ignorance it's this idea that like when people have an idea of a norm, then sometimes that will impact their behavior, even if the norm is wrong. So, for example, in in uh, my undergrad, uh, there was this idea that like people drank a lot. Uh, and then if you were to ask someone like, how, how, what's the percentage of students that really drink a lot on campus, people would probably say like 80 90% of students, but the number was actually like 50% when they when they're asking people and, and like because of that false norm, I think it actually increases drinking. Uh, which could be a conversation with your student or just something that they could be more aware of is to sort of watch out for that. The other way this comes across is through socializing. It's a little bit different from your question, but, but I wanted to point it out from an earlier, earlier conversation we had. And it's that like when you're on college campus, it's easy to get the idea that everyone is always social constantly. And it's because when you're out and about, you're seeing people often who are also out and about. And what that can create is like an enhanced sense of loneliness because you feel like, man, like everyone's always socializing and like I'm not seeing as many people as other people are seeing. So it's another way in which sort of like a false norm gets in your head and and through social comparison, which we know among our teens and then college students is like is intense. uh, It can make you feel as if you're more isolated than you actually may be. And in comparison to other students, maybe you feel like you're more lonely or more isolated than they are. When that's usually not the case, it's usually just a misperception of how often people are socializing.
0: Wow. I mean, I think a lot of students have some familiarity familiarity with that, just related to social media and that FOMO, yeah, you know, FOMO, yes,
1: totally.
0: right? Fear of missing out. And it's mm-hmm. so present everywhere. And here I am alone on a Friday night at college reading a book. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, it's, I think that's another way to kind of front load. Like, these are things that's like, I want all my students to know, um, yeah. before they, before they go, because it set, it resets the norm, yeah. right? Because yeah. what is actually the perceived norm is not the perceived norm. And if students have maybe a self-talk around that, mm-hmm. like, I know, yeah. I feel, I know that I feel, um, lonely. I know that this is a feeling. I know that this feeling is maybe out of line compared to what is actually happening. I mean, I don't know, maybe you could give me the self-talk cause I'm not, yeah,
1: there. no, I think that that's, that's totally right. Uh, it's sort of like, I'm having this feeling of loneliness. Uh, that feeling is, is like real. And I want to validate that in myself. Uh, part of the reason I feel like this is I think that other students on campus are doing better than I am I kind of know logically that that's not really true so I want to like validate the, the feeling that I'm having but like all the thoughts around it I can identify as like yeah those are probably those are probably not true and that like it's okay for me to take time to myself if that's what I need or sometimes I don't get invited to stuff that that's okay that's that's the norm you know. And that like other students are also feeling the same way I am.
0: Do you, um, do you I, I'm thinking back to um, I, when I was, when, back when I was parenting and I used to say stuff to my kids like be okay with saying no, but then I mm-hmm. always tried to say what to let me help you what you can say yes to. So cool. let's just say we're alone on a Friday night. Yeah. And we have that feeling of loneliness. What's that next? Let's see. I'm going to see if I can get this right. What's the next? I mean, in that self determination, it would be maybe just that ability to control your own life. So it would be autonomy, right? What would yeah. be the autonomous next move in what yeah. I'm thinking at that moment?
1: Yeah. Well, one thing I really liked. um, helping students do and it works for myself too is like when I'm having that feeling rather than trying to like fix it now for example by going to try and find out to do something is to plan like a social activity into the future uh that I can then like look forward to and then I often find that that like really helps the feeling or provides relief to that feeling now um
0: see I would often
1: people are more likely to say yes to because people are more likely to be like oh I can hang out you know in four days or tomorrow as opposed to like what are you doing right now
0: Hmm.
1: So I've had, I've had a little bit more success with that.
0: I really like that. Do you, are you in a position to explain why, why that works better? Yeah. Only... I... Yeah. Go ahead.
1: Oh, I, I just think that it's, I think it's more likely to, for people to say yes. I think that like mm. often uh, one way that like, and we're we're talking about just sort of normal loneliness here, but one way that depression works is when you're feeling really down depression can convince you that the feeling you're having right now is going to last forever and that it's also like broader and more global than it actually is so maybe like you didn't get into your sorority to use your example and then maybe the thought is like I'm alone people don't like being around me and that's going to be true for the rest of college so if you can just Do something into the future that sort of convinces you that what's happening now is actually quite specific and quite time limited, then it has a good way of just sort of cutting or like deflating that like natural expanding sense of like depression or anxiety. Because those, those emotions, those like tendencies will take up a lot of space if you sort of let them.
0: Wow, that's great. I just looked at my clock for the first time. I know,
1: likewise. Yeah. And it's
0: 12 30. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that was so amazing. Dylan. (laughs) We can, we plan our next session after this, you know, let's get our next Mm -hmm. topic on the books. Your input is so valuable. I am, I, we are gonna send this Hannah to all of our people who are leaving. And actually I think we should send it to our students. Yeah. Because I think even though we're kind of like how do parents help? I think this is really valuable specifically that self-determination piece. Mm -hmm. I think it's really valuable. And as always, we like to stop on time. So we get people keep coming and watching. So we're so very grateful for you and everything that you do for our community. And we can't wait to see you again.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much. Can't wait to, can't wait to join back.
0: And thanks, Hannah. I forgot to introduce you. And, mo- oh, and gonna, I just you're, you're, you're a very amazing moderator. And I always forget to introduce you and, and express my gratitude for you too. So thank you. Of course. Thank okay. you, Dylan. Bye, thanks. everybody. Bye.
1: Take care. Okay, take care.